welcome everybody. I'm glad you're all here. I just want to say welcome everybody. The recording's turned on. We're going to get into this uh, right away. Before I share my screen with you all, I want to introduce our uh, presenters today, and we're going to talk to them a little bit about their journey and through uh, not just through coaching, but how they've grown their business and how they brought two businesses together. And some of the one of the things that I've found as a coach is that I learn more from people's challenges than I do from just hearing what was easy. And so we're going to talk about the roadmap, some of the challenges they ran into, how they overcame them, and then uh, what are the things that they're doing that's helping their business just kick butt and take names today uh, with their team. So it's going to be, it's exciting to talk about them. We're going to talk about failing up, how to turn failure into massive success. Uh, is anybody else on the call? Just show me by the raise of hands that's failed before or had struggles or challenges. So you're not alone. All right, I think, I think so, Dominic. You guys are in good company. We have a we have a, a group of failures on the on the call. My hand, both my hands are up on this. Like like I'm I epic. I, I I remember my going out of business cell when I sold satellite dishes and hot tubs. That was the best cell I ever had. When I finally decided to go out of business, we stayed open six months longer because everybody started coming in again. I should have done instead of a grand opening, we should have started with a going out of business cell. And that would have saved us eight years of. Uh, eight years of struggle in retail. So um, I, I know what that feels like to have some challenges. So let me introduce everybody. Let me introduce Dominic. And I want to make sure that I get him right. It's Don Calissimo, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Madison-based The 608 Team. Now, you'll wonder what the 608 is. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. He was born and raised in the suburb of Cleveland. He's part of a huge Italian family that is rooted in Ohio. He went to Purdue University in Lafayette, Indiana, graduated with a degree in business management before moving to Madison, Wisconsin. He's passionate about helping his clients and go beyond what they thought was possible in their real estate goals and has a particular passion for investing in real estate and building wealth and his love for helping people realize their income potential through rental properties. So he has a really strong focus on not just getting a house to live in, but actually build your wealth. Uh, we're excited to have you here, Dom. Say hi to everybody real quick, and I'll introduce, uh, I'll introduce the better side of the team. Thanks, for all. <laughs> yeah, hi, everybody. Excited to be here today. All right, so this is Ellie. Everybody say Ellie Calis uh, Calissimo. Um, Ellie was born and raised educated in Madison, graduated with her business degree from University of Wisconsin. I mean, do we, do we, have, uh, do we have basketball like uh, conflict in the house, or is that a problem? Yeah, all Big Ten in, sports actually. Indiana yeah. and Wisconsin; those are some pretty serious rivals. Yeah. All right. She's been practicing real estate since 2014. She started when she was eight years old. Uh, <laughs> she founded the LA <laughs> Real Estate before joining her company with Dom and co-founding the 608 team. Um, they weren't they weren't actually a couple. They when they started the team, they were they were just two people that thought they'd be good business partners. And now they're married, so I guess that worked out well. Um, through the 608 Gives program, Dominelli committed to supporting their community as much as it supported them through philanthropy and by giving back to uh, the Carbone the Cancer Society in Madison. What well, cool thing about these guys, so that's the official thing. They've both recently become Workman Success Coaches and they've started receiving their first coaching clients. And it's really fun to see their uh, enthusiasm and energy to share what they've learned being a client to other people now as they're helping them build their businesses. And so guys, I wanna just say thanks for being here. I appreciate you jumping on the call today. Thanks for yeah, having us, thank Earl. you. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I have to share my screen first, and then I have to turn this on in a share mode. Okay. You should be seeing my title slide. Is that what everybody sees? Yep. yep. 
Okay, great. All right, so let me just jump in and just just let tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I want you to start with what 608 is. So the 608 is our area code, and we actually um, we were on a flight to R4 when we met you, Viral, um, in 2019, 2020. 2020. Yeah. It was right before the world shut down. So we were at R4 end of February 2020, and then it shut down like two weeks later, and we were in Vegas. Um, and we were on a flight to Vegas and we were actually thinking of a team name. I think it was for your team because mm -hmm. Dom already had a small team and we were looking for something a bit more all encompassing than, um, you know, our last names. Um, Feldman Colosimo sounds like a really bad law firm joke. <laughs> um, Been injured in an accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Call Feldman Colosimo. <laughs> um, and so we came up with the 608. The 608 is our area code. Um, we just thought it would be a little bit more all-encompassing than than any other name really just felt like more of a community and something that people could get behind and it's proven to be that we have clients now that will hashtag you know the 608 team hashtag the 608 family when they get accepted offers or closing so it's pretty cool that like even if they're working with one agent on our team they they embrace the whole team because it's something they want to stand behind so it's worked out it was uh, I actually yeah. love that. I think it's really cool. A lot of people do their team names with their face on it. And then whenever they go to transition or when you have to work with a team member, they don't feel like they're getting the, the team leader. So um, I love the idea of that. And you're in an area where that 608 is a big enough area. It encompasses all of the area you serve. Correct. It yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. Um, 12 counties total. And um, it actually was inspired too. Dan Bertelson's on this call right now. He's actually one of our broker owners and director of operations for the Remax franchise and our entire market. And um, my very first day in real estate five years ago, he said, do something different. And um, the doing something different in our area meant don't, don't tie it to your ego, don't tie it to your name. And we said the same thing for our team. We wanted something that our team could be super proud of and something that our community could be super proud of. So together after that brainstorm, we went through multiple iterations of it and decided to land on the 608 team. And so did, were you a couple before you formed your team? Is that happening right at the same time? Or did you just kind of like each other? Well, you can share that story if you'd like. <laughs> no, we actually met. We met at a Remax training in the training office in December of 2017. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I didn't think anything. You know, I thought he was a nice guy. Um, at that time in my business, what I was trying to do was refer any buyers out that were under a certain price point. I think it was 350 at the time. I knew I needed to move on to higher price points to have sustainability, and so I, I gave him a chance to take on some of those clients and he closed every single one of them. And so I tried to set him up with one of my friends actually before we, <laughs> it was probably a year before we started dating and then um, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, we, we actually started coaching as separate companies. We're like, no, I built this. I had my life. She built this, she had her life. And then we were, we started to date and then we got engaged and then we got married. And throughout the course of that, we're like, okay, we're making this harder on ourselves than we need to. And through coaching and through, our time with um, uh, talking with Caprice, who is a master coach with Workman and uh, really just gave us some objective advice from afar and said, you guys are doing the same thing, just do it together. And that's kind of when we were like, okay, let's start this over. We each had a different mission, vision, and core values. We each had a different business plan. We each had a different market. Um, and we said, let's, let's just do this together the right way. So that's how the 608 team was born. And to wrap them both, and Burl, to wrap them both out, they actually loved each other way before they admitted it to each other. So. <laughs> I love that. And so, so real quick, so tell me a little bit about what was going on in your business 
that was painful enough for you to say, you know what, we need some outside help. I mean, clearly you have a good broker, your broker's there to help you and support you. And I love that he got you going with a great unique selling advantage for a team name. Uh, what made you say, okay, you know what, this is painful. We need help. Um, I think it was really going from that frantic entrepreneurial mindset and feeling that times two, and then saying like, how do we build a life around this? And at the same time, you know, support the things that are important to us and move to a more purposeful mindset. And we're still in that transition. It took a lot of hitting our head against the wall, a lot of entrepreneurial failure, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings and um, a lot of failures to really get out of our own way and say, hey, let's slow down to speed up. And I think that's the best thing that Caprice has taught us, um, not only her, her method as a coach, but also as we're paying that forward and coaching other clients, um, really starting with that entrepreneurial to purposeful mindset from the beginning. And um, that's reinforced in our office culture now too. We have a great um, director, uh, vice president of operations and human resources who instills that in our team every single day. Jeff has done a great job of just bringing that, that being purposeful to life. And I think it's actually given us um, more life, honestly, because of how, more, how strategic we can be. I think what brought us the overall is this overarching idea that we had an, we, we began with an end in mind. And I think a lot of agents want to keep going. They want to every year increase their volume, every year, every year do more transactions. And we were like, that's the wrong way to run a business. The true way of running a business is beginning with the end in mind, which is we're not selling anymore with the end in mind. We're actually just running the business and creating these other separate pieces of the business. Like we're doing our philanthropy. We're doing the things we love. Well, real estate services and the brokerage services are still going to fund all of those things. But if we're still having to sell 15 years later in real estate, we're not doing real estate right. We're not really running it like a business. So beginning with the end in mind and knowing that ultimately success to us doesn't look like we're still doing hundred million in volume each year for us. And we want to have a family and we want to have freedom and we want to have, you know, quote unquote mailbox money, right? It's not actually mailbox money. You're working for it. But if you're beginning with the end in mind and knowing that you want something, you know, you know that the, the something is actually kind of being out of what you think you need to do more of, then you're like, you have to get purposeful and you have to have strategy to get there. So before we go to the next slide, I want everybody, to, we're going to give you some downloads at the end of the webinar today. Take your cameras out and take a picture of this. And so just grab you, grab the QR code so you can get it. And that way you'll be able to download uh, what we're going to talk about on disc. We're going to talk about some stuff on uh, daily success, uh, daily huddles, and some other strategies that they use in their business. And we just want to make them available to everybody. So uh, take a minute, grab your cameras and take a picture of that. Got to get this off my screen. <laughs> All right, here we got it. Okay, I'm gonna go. All right, so talk talk to us about kind of where you uh, where you you mentioned mission, vision, and values. Let's talk about what your, how your team operates. So we're on our third iteration of this. We had them separate. We merged them once, and then we just enhanced them again after our four this year and after leverage. And um, we took some really cool. Uh, wisdom of the crowd and talking to peers local and talking peers that, you know, all the way to Hawaii even and said, you know, the 808 team, what, um, what, what makes you different? What helps brings that soul of your life to business in, in your organization? And we went back to the drawing board and enhanced them again. And I'll let Ellie go through the details of it. But a lot of this was um, inspired by um, just our passion to elevate our team and then elevate us 
another year in our third year, year over year again, and really solidify this as the soul of the company. Do you want so your first time wasn't it? You, you, is it okay to change your core values and your mission statement after you do it once? Yeah. And For I think sure. the first time we did it just to do it, just to check it off in our business plan with Caprice. And we, it was helpful to have, because when we were hiring people, we'd show it to them, but we realized even how we were hiring or how we were firing or, you know, all of the above wasn't really based off of core values yet. So this third iteration, we realized that we have like, in order to have anyone on our team, we have to feel they're in alignment with these core values because anytime that wasn't happening, it was just, it was not good for them and it was not good for us. So now it's actually become, you know, way more important that it's driving, it's driving us in our decision-making. Um, and if it's not in alignment with our decisions, then, then it's not the right thing for the team. So I love that. And everybody gets a chance to take a look at that. So you want to take us through your values and what, and how you use them in your team? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you want me to read them, read it off Earl, or? Yeah, you just, you can talk, you can talk through them. Compassion, commitment, clarity. I love they're all C's. How'd you come up with all C's? <laughs> yeah, you can't, we can't take the credit for that. So at Leverage, David, is it Horse Taker? Yeah. yeah I don't want to mess up his name. David, David Horsager, his uh, trust edge. Yeah, the trust edge. So um, we, I fell in love with him at that, at his um, talk at Leverage. And he was kind enough to send books home to everyone who was at Leverage. And I started reading it immediately on the plane. Um, and I basically, it was, the, I have to say, it's the only book I've read so far. I need to read the rest of them from Leverage because they were all, were all really inspiring. But I got into that one right away and it just resonated with me um, based on some things we were going through at the time with our team. And so I basically took, there's this, the eight C's that he talks about that relate to trust in any organization. So basically I wanted to infuse them into our core values. So I literally just took them and wrote how it relates to us as a team. And I, I made them our core values because I think if you have trust, you have everything. So I, I was convinced after reading that book that trust is central to success in a team. I, lo so. I love that. So when, so when do you introduce them to a new person coming onto the team after they're hired or during the interview or what? Interview process. Yeah. It actually starts now with the, and she hit on this too. So we had them, we had them, but like kept them a secret, if that makes sense, like the first iteration or the second iteration. And then we're like, okay, how do we bring this to life? And they actually are starting to be brought to life in the, in the job descriptions now. So actually like forward facing, when we put a job post out there and we are looking to recruit somebody or hire, it actually starts before we even have that first interaction with them. And that, that makes it way easier to ingrain in your culture because people know what to expect and it's a little bit more predictable from the beginning. But yeah, it starts at the job interview now. And that's taken a, that's taken a lot of like moving pieces to get there, but getting everybody aligned to that um, makes it easier and then makes hiring decisions easier and um, gets everyone started on the right foot from the beginning. So tell, tell us about your team. How many people on your team? What kind of business are you guys doing? So we are, we just hit 34 uh, million under contract and um, sold so far this year. Good for uh, you. And we completed 175 transactions last year and just under 70 million last year. Um, we are at 10 total on our team, including our admin support. And that's uh, seven agents. So small, but mighty, which is where we want to stay and, and super productive. So your agents are producing. So where were you when you started with Workman? What kind of volume were you doing? We each did about 6 million 14, ourselves. 14. And then four, scaled, think, right? Yeah. Ended that I, think, year to I think it was about 14 to start. And then I think the, the first year is like went from 14 to like 22, 23. Yeah. And then the team as well. Yeah. So that's fun. 
from yeah. 14 to 70 million. Wow. And what do you think you're on target to do this year? What do you, what are your, what are your goals? Our goal is hundred million this year, um, which yeah, would be really cool. good for our market. So, yeah. yeah. You, know, you guys seem pretty calm, cool, and collected for someone doing that many transactions. Are you, I mean, is there any freak out going on in the background? Always. It's always inside. <laughs> um, Daniel's, Daniel's smiling with me because you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dan's the same thing. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there always is, right? Because you're, you're excited and you're expanding and you're growing and it's still real estate. So there's still, you know, the ebbs and flows of the company um, and the highs and the lows. But I will tell you, um, the people that we have around us now are so aligned with what we're doing um, and working together and rooting each other on, which roots back to that one sea of culture that I would say is um, makes it not only all worth it, but makes it makes us a little bit more calm and confident and continuing on that path to purposeful and to leading from a management perspective and a coaching perspective and not just being in the transactions every single day. So I'm just, this is just real being curious, but are, do you feel like you're working more today than you were working when you were doing 6 million or 10 million? Do you feel like you're like having to spend more time at the office? Are you having more stuff to deal with? Or do you feel like you have better balance? I would say, I would say more, but in different ways, yeah. in less stressful ways. And Viral, like, you know, I mentioned the thing when I first met Dom at passing off any buyer under 350, my goal this year was to pass off all buyers and to only work seller transactions. Um, so I think we're, we spend a lot of time, but part of this is because we love this. We love what we do. And part of it is because it doesn't turn off because we are married. <laughs> so like at the end of the night, if we're, you know, we'll be like, we're just going to hang out tonight. We're not going to work, but then I'll be like, Dom, let me redo these core values. What do you think about this? <laughs> we always start getting, you know, so part of that is our own faults and our boundaries. Um, but I think it's, it's working harder in different ways because you're having to spend time to create systems for other people rather than just work for yourself and in the business. So you're working, you're working on the business more than you were before, but we're working in the business probably a little bit less. So it's a little bit of balance right now. No, I like that. I mean, it, like it's, it, it would be, it would be, um, I would rather have you tell me that than say that, oh no, life is great. We never have to go in anymore. I never work on evenings or weekends. Like you guys are working, you guys are working hard at building your business. I think that's important to know that it's not easy. You, you have to do the work. 100%. 100%. All right, so let's talk about your first epic fail, hiring too fast. Tell me what that looks like. Yeah, I would say probably, honestly, I, to be completely honest, it, was, it started when I left my corporate career. And you know, I had 2,600 people reporting to me and um, had every, for the, my previous company, had every store in Northern Illinois and um, all of Wisconsin at one point. Wow. So um, I would say real estate, was lonely. And I went to Dan actually and Pam and I said, you know, I know I'm new at this and I know I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'd like to, I'd like to probably start a team and have, you know, build this out. Um, and that's honestly where it started. And at that point I had nothing to offer and honestly didn't even know what my value proposition was, but they supported me and, um, said, go do it. So we, I did and, you know, had no process or structure in place. So, um, you know, my mentor uh, to this day became my first buyer agent and um, it kind of grew from there. And then, you know, had hired people because they, I made it look easy and that's the wrong way to hire. And then hired other people because they're like desperate or like, you know, help me get out of my career. And um, or also because I probably made it look easy. That wasn't the right way to hire. 
Um, so all of, you know, fell flat on my face on a lot of those things. And then we merged and Ellie never actually wanted to have a team. She was very like efficient and very good as an independent agent and didn't have to scale. And then we sat and we said, Hey, what does our, our future look like? And, um, it wasn't until we actually were slowed down and stopped to say, well, what did you, what did you have in my previous career that made me feel confident about pipeline and hiring and retention? I'm like, well, we had a handbook. We had an operations manual. We had a, a pay chart. We had, um, a bench, a bench of people ready to go. And I'm like, that's what always made me make right decisions out of abundance and always having that pipeline full versus out of scarcity, which was something I really had to learn the right way in the real estate environment. So we started with our mission, vision, core values, got our value proposition figured out, got our comp plan figured out, um, and have slowed down a lot to promote hiring the right way and to make sure that we have our job descriptions out there the right way now and have a formal interview process, including a phone screen. And Jeff is running all of that for us now. Um, and then a three-step interview process from there. And we're bringing on, we've realized how much leverage we could get from bringing on an admin and a transaction coordinator. And he's, he said, you haven't even started to be able to see the leverage that's possible. So we're hiring for a, another client care coordinator right now and a listing coordinator um, because we've, stumbled across some listings and need some additional support. <laughs> I and think, I think the other part of it is it's not just hiring too fast. It's hiring the wrong roles first. So everyone starts to hire a buyer's agent as soon as you get too busy. And we now know with workmen, you should be hiring administrative help before you're hiring a buyer's agent. And we did that. We had a transaction coordinator, so she managed all of our transactions, but I think it's also deciding it's deciding to like, Yes, it sucks because you're taking some of your income that you're making so much of when you're on your own to pay, pay someone in an administrative role versus a buyer agent who can make you more income, but it's the right way to do it for longevity and, and to hire the right way and not to make the, the, you know, the mistakes, to, to prevent the mistakes from hiring those people first before you're in, and setting up those processes basically before you have someone under you selling. So true. So as you've built your team and you've grown your team, uh, you have a, another fail, assuming your team shares your vision. Um, tell me what, tell me when you realized that they weren't on the same page as you. Yeah, that evolved too. So those same, those same issues that arise as you're, as you're growing and in that entrepreneurial phase, um, again, started without having any of that. So as you, as you create that mission, vision, and core values in a line, there's a little bit of an assumption in there that people will follow in line, like the graphic shows. And that's not always the case. Like some people have different motivations. Some people have different aspirations. Some people want to be, you know, with you for the right reasons. Some people want to be with you for the wrong reasons. And like, that's just, that's just sometimes how life happens and building those things out and assuming that people are going to fall in line with that, um, was a really bad assumption on our part. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think, um, we can get I also think that we, you know, some of that side to communication too, we can work on something for six months and pull something together and say, Hey, like we're ready to rock and roll with this and present it. Um, and then, you know, we need to do a better job bringing people along for the ride. So that assumption is definitely something that, um, uh, we won't do again. So everything we roll out going forward is very planned and communicated the right way. And we make sure that everybody understands where we're coming from and where we're headed together and gain buy-in prior to just saying, hey, 
this is our mission, vision, and core values. Get get lined up and ready to go. So yeah, you know, it's interesting in our recent team study, and I haven't published it yet, but one of the things that team members say that they wish their team leaders did was communicate better, that they don't feel like they're in sync with the team leaders and where they're going and what their vision is. And so that's a, I love that you're addressing that and you're thinking about that because your team, your team members just want to feel like they're part of it and they yeah. want to be, they want to, they want to have clear communication. And it was funny because it came up in several questions different ways, but communication was a cons consistent issue in why people leave their team leaders because they don't feel like they're part of anything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So talk to me about your culture. What's the difference between, between um, intentional and accidental cultures? I think intentional or, you know, accidental is you try to portray what you believe should be the culture and you try to portray it in your actions and in your words and in your work ethic and you assume that it's being received and I think it goes back to again communication where now now we're a little bit more um uh what would you say we're a little more thoughtful in like calling those things out right so like um defining the the culture moments that we're proud of and defining the cultural moments that we're not proud of. And sometimes we use other examples outside of our team, you know, within our MLS, within the industry, whatever, um, just to say like, this is not how we operate and this is how we operate. So basically just bringing light to the expectations that we have for culture versus just trying to be the culture and then being frustrated that other people aren't being the culture that we want them to be because we feel like we're showing them so they should provide that back to us, I think. All right, so you got to give me an example. So I, so I want to understand what you mean by um, culture behaviors in the office. Give me a, give me an example of what's, what's a good thing that you would pull out or recognize. Yeah, I would say um, a culture around, I have a couple of examples. One would be like when you, uh, if you have somebody covering for a vacation for somebody. Yeah. Our expectation around that is that that person on our team knows that that's going to be paid back and they're going to have their back when that person takes a vacation or a maternity leave or a paternity leave. And that's not always been the case. Some people have brought up compensation. Some people have brought up, um, that's not my job. And when you're on a team, like you've got to be a team player because that expectation is, is the expectation when you're on our team, at least. Um, or another example would be some people say that's not how, how it happened on our previous team, or that's not how it should be based off of what I've seen before on my previous team. And we've had to kibosh that a couple of times too, where we've said, well, this isn't your team. And, and some of that's really positive stuff. Some people say you guys lead so differently. You are very caring. You're very involved. You're available for me, which is great. And, you know, eliminating some of those scars from past experiences sometimes has enabled us to create the culture that we wanted which means everyone's supportive and cheering everybody on in a way that is very um, positive. And I think I, I think I was naive to that at first. I think that, you know, that's, uh, that's how I always have operated. And I think that under the, um, you know, in certain circumstances, based off of this slide for team culture and the previous one too, I think that um, that's not the case for everybody. And I think what we've built so far has been, um, has been a culture where people are now very supportive of one another and cheering each other on um, and eliminating some of that some from some teams like that jealousy or that feeling of, um, um, I guess I would say jealousy or feeling of um, some type of like 
oh. why did you get it versus me type of thing. I think the one so, really cool thing that came- It's not from, fair. It's not fair. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. The one cool thing that came from the example of the vacation was the agent who had done a lot of work for this person that was on vacation was like, you know what I think the reason I feel like it's not fair is because I don't take a vacation that long to feel like I'm going to get it paid back. And then we're like, oh, well, that's a different problem, right? That's, that's like a problem we need to solve for everyone. And it was really cool. It was all out of caring and kindness. Like they all were volunteering, like this person should get 25% of this deal because they did this much work while we were gone. And we were like, we don't want to create a culture where we feel like we're constantly figuring out who pays for what because someone helped each other. And, but it was all from good intentions and people were really receptive and understanding of why we said no to that, because we don't want it to feel like it's tit for tat or like you're leaving. So you're going to help me. And the only way that you can feel like it's equal is take your own time off too. Right. And like, that's good for you and your family. So that was a big aha moment. And it was, it was really interesting to see that play out. You know, it's really interesting that team leaders, oftentimes they start teams because they want to have a better life. They want to have better balance. They're busy. They need help, but they don't think about their team members having a better life or being too busy or wanting time off. And you're being real intentional about making sure that they get it by creating that culture. Yeah. All right. So yeah. do you have minimum levels of performance for your team members? You, when you talk about culture, um, some people have team members that don't produce and that's their culture. They don't realize they've created that. Yeah, we do. And Viral, we have to be honest. We thought we knew better than workmen. So we this year we, we had switched our comp plan. We basically took the 24 transactions minimum and we made it into volume because that's we were we were trying to we were attempting to make people think in terms of volume because you can often have more freedom if you do higher price points but less transactions, right? So we were convinced the transaction count didn't matter. We're actually gonna go back on that because we we understand now why transaction minimums are so important. It's because you want consistent behavior over time. You don't want someone just fishing for, you know, the million dollar buyer, right? So you do want these consistent behaviors and that's why we track transactions. So we apologize in advance. So this year it's been seven, <laughs> million, 7 million for us, which was basically taking the 24 transactions times the average price point as like a minimum standard for our team. But we need to, we need to recreate that because we, we messed up. <laughs> it's so interesting too, when you're thinking about that it's so California, you guys, that's what they do in California. Nobody likes to tell you how many houses they sold. They don't like to say how many millions they did. Yeah. And my California agent's going to even put pipe in on this. That, yeah. I did 40 million. That's like two houses. Like what'd you do yeah. the rest of the month? Yeah. And when we get them to think about number of units, it gets them to think differently about what's possible. And I've seen people not believe that they could do 24 units, do 24 units in a market where the average sales price is 4 million. Do the math on that. And they've had just become incredible. So that's kind of funny that you did that. Yeah. We call that ACA against, against coaching advice. Yeah. We learned <laughs> yeah. the hard way. We learned that one the hard way. And I think the, the other thing. Oh, too, they've never, oh, they've never done that. Come on, <laughs> right. Man. Come on, man. That's common. It's like they swim upstream every time. They do. I, I'd also say the, um, the other thing too, with that too, is we didn't realize like projecting that volume on our agents also was intimidating for newer agents. So when an agent saw 7 million, they can't even conceive that. And then we said, wait, it's the same exact thing. We just want to help you encourage, you can give yourself a raise. You can make your, your time more productive, your time more valuable and enhance it. The same way we did with our mission, vision, and core values, we wanted to share that vision with, with agents, but for some reason, 24 transactions is less intimidating than $7 million. 
So we learned that the hard way too. And you I know, think it's funny we, when I first got into real estate, we used to have an award. If you sold a million dollars in real estate, the million dollar club. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, no, you're that's poverty. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I remember, I remember like, Oh, I just want to get the million dollar club. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. So I can see how that would be intimidating for new people. All yeah. right. So bringing two businesses together, you got two strong personality types, one strong operationally, the other one has, you know, strengths in other areas of business. And with that outside of real estate, you know, business background, you guys come together. How do you go about um, establishing roles and responsibilities? And how do you, how do you change from having lots of overlap? But really, um, I think that in a lot of, in a lot of businesses where you have strong personalities, you have a couple working together, it creates conflict. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had conflict? Never. Yeah, no, we have for sure. And, um, and I think we failed, like at those times, we failed the people that had chosen to be with us at that time because of that conflict, or just because of the no, not having the defined roles. So I think a big thing for us, and we were, I feel like we're just hitting it this year. And I also don't totally blame us because I think you kind of do have to go through the muck to like figure it out. So like, I don't know that we could have done this right from the start and avoided the muck that happened before because you learn so much from it. Um, do I think we could have been a little bit more systematic with it? Probably. And what I wish we would have done was sit down and, you know, list what I like to do, what Dom likes to do, what his strengths are, what my strengths are, and just kind of divided and conquered. What we did instead was we kind of did everything together until we got the basics set up. And now we've kind of diverged into our own roles and mine's more the operation side. So like the CEO side and he's the CEO side. Um, he does a lot of the ideas. I do a lot of the execution of those ideas. And so I think, I think it kind of had to happen the way it did, but we probably could have had it happen a little better if we had clearly defined what, what we probably more, what we hated to do and see if the other person liked it. So we could at least have been happy in the roles we were duplicating rather than doing the stuff that we didn't want to do for each other if that and do you stay out of each other's lanes pretty well i mean like you let her run operationally dom lately there's some i mean yeah i'd say probably this year and with our late last hire with jeff i mean we we you know i, I said we're going to plan an event for 608 day let's do it this is important we'll have all of the sales team you know update their database get everything ready to go you guys tell us where to be and when and we're dividing and conquering like that's, that's one example, but that's happening more and more and more and more. And we are um, trusting each other in that um, in trying to, instead of trying to have our hands in, in multiple pots. And I'd say that that has actually um, not only been great for our team, but it's been great for life too. So. Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. I, my, I, I learned my role early on, early on in marriage and that's just to say yes. And she's in charge. And as long as I understood that. <laughs> Yeah. And we had a we have a happy marriage. Hey, if you have questions for Dom and Ellie, go ahead and use the chat box, and I'll do my best. I've got multiple screens up, and I'll do my best to answer, ask them questions as we go through this. I know that many of you are starting teams or have teams that you're running, and are wondering some of the things that might be helpful. I'm, they'll they'll take questions, so just be sure to uh, jump in. All right, so let's talk about the next ones. Let's talk about um, the wisdom of the crowd. Um, what are some of the keys you have now to success? So we've talked about some of the pains, not having things lined up correctly, not hire, hiring people too fast, clearly defining roles, not defining your core values clearly, and then communicating those to the team. Now let's talk about the wins. How do we get to some wins? What are some of the things that you've done that, uh, that have helped you grow so much? I mean, it's crazy. You've like four, five, six times. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was getting set up with workmen. 
So like, you know, because it's hard and this is no, this is, I think this is true of probably what most people feel in their own marketplace, but it's hard to, um, I mean, you're collaborating with agents within your MLS, but not, no one wants to share what they're doing, right? They don't want someone in their MLS doing the same thing. So getting outside of, you know, our MLS and even um, our area and seeing how other people are doing it in different areas um, and just having the, the connection to all those people who are also speaking the same language as us because they're also being coached by workmen. We're all doing the same things just so, to see how it's being done in those other areas while speaking the same language is just like mind blowing. Like, I mean, when we signed up, I told you we signed up right before the pandemic hit. And I felt like, Dom always says this, we feel like in the pandemic, people either like was like either just decided that nothing was going to happen during the pandemic and they're just going to eat not work out get fat and lazy and not move their businesses forward or they took all that time to get fit get healthy you know pour into the systems and that's what we did with with workman and we feel like that was our almost one of our big competitive advantages because we were plugging into everything that you guys were putting on which was a lot because you were trying to help us with the unprecedented unprecedented times right so First, it was plugging in virtually and obviously plugging in with our coaching calls. But now that we can actually travel and go places, it was going to leverage. It's doing coach training before we felt like we were ready, before I felt like I was ready to coach by any means. It was just plugging into all the opportunities because you just meet all the amazing workman coaches and you just gain so much from learning from people that are you know, doing things from every brokerage all over the country, but speaking the same language. You don't have to like explain because they just get it. I remember... Um, when we got to coach training and I was like, oh, there's two coach trainings a year and they expect us to be at both of them. I'm like, that's a lot of time for like a team leader to, you know, to be at those. And I remember, um, and they're three days each and they're three days each. And I remember, and I'm totally blanking on his name right now. He's from Indiana. Uh, Reed, I think Reed said to me, he said, he said, these give me so much life and energy. I have to come to these. And I was like, that is crazy. Like conferences are draining. They're long. You're, you're in a hotel. There's, you know, there's no airflow. It's dark, whatever. And I, but I've realized every single time I've left anything workman related, like they motivate, they're so motivating. So it like does, it fills you up. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think to piggyback off of that too, a little bit, and it's not just agents in, I mean, Mike and Nicole are in our MLS and yeah. our neighboring MLS and ha are incredible, incredible. Uh, resources and incredible friends. So I would say the wisdom of the crown, not only it surprised me how many friendships were developed uh, through the organization and through this community. Um, and it's the same reason why we still love our Remax team too, because I think that um, whenever we have a chance to share that, um, that wisdom of the crowd, uh, you have a chance to enhance. And I think through some of the tools that we started with, my 61 points that I started with are daily success habits, which I think was on one of the slides. But um, that we started with an ingraining in our team three years ago may have been worth a buck a point. And then the next year they were worth 10 bucks and now they're worth a hundred bucks. And I told my team next year, I want to be so good at them that they're worth a thousand bucks. And every time we get to come to a, a gathering or a conference or pick up the phone and call a neighbor down the street or a coach training call or a coaching call with a client of ours, um, we get a chance to think about it differently and then enhance that, that system uh, using the wisdom of the crowd. And that's been kind of the biggest benefit, sharing those ideas, sharing those resources, having a starting point, saying, here's something I have, will you take a look at it? Here's something, and then, you know, vice versa, and, and having those resources so that we're not reinventing the wheel over and over and over again with a bunch of high, 
highly accomplished people trying to do the same thing. And then a couple of questions for you. So um, the first one is from Jason Holtman. Jason, how's it going, man? He wants to know what happens if an agent doesn't meet the minimum standards on your team? Kick him down the road? Do you lock him in timeout? What's the, what's the plan? I think that's a bigger conversation. I mean, it, it just depends. There's so many variables there, right? Like, are they the wrong fit for a buyer agent? Are they the right fit for an administrative role? You know, what's going on in their lives? Are they, are they working the systems? Are they in alignment with core values that we need to just get their processes up to speed? It really just depends on the situation, I think. And, and if they're a good culture fit, can we find a spot for them somewhere else? Or, you know, it just, I think it really depends. It's not an automatic out, but it's uh, something that needs to be done and talked about. If we so could, Dino, Dino, rather than raising your hand, if you could just uh, post your question in the chat box, I'd appreciate that. Um, so, all right, so what you're saying is, is that it's okay if they don't perform as long as they're doing the activities that will get them there. But if they're not showing right. up at huddles and they're not doing their 61 points and they're bad culturally. That's the difference. You just hit the nail on the head right there. If they're not the culture fit, that's a difference. If someone came to me and said, I only hit 20 of my 24 transactions this year, but I worked my butt off. I am a good fit for the team. I've done all of my like prospecting time and I promise to make it up to you next year. That's a different abundance mindset and a different attitude that aligns with somebody who's going to be successful on the team than someone who has a poor attitude and blames everybody for their failures. And I think people, some people just take longer to develop, don't they? Right. And yeah. pe people fail to hit their goals for two reasons. It's either a conversion issue or it's a numbers issue. Right. So I think like, it, as long as you're looking at what the issue is, right. Like, is it that they're getting all these buyer agencies, but they can't close anyone because they can't write contracts. They can't explain how to get an accepted offer. Like that's a different issue than if they're not even getting the numbers. And if they're not even getting the numbers, probably not a right fit for us because they're not doing the habits that we're asking them to do. Right. Yeah, totally. All right. Talk to me about your daily routine and the daily huddle. Is that what, how's that part of your culture today? Yeah. So we just implemented the daily huddle the last couple of weeks, actually, um, probably a month now. Month, yeah. Um, so we're doing it every day except for our team meeting day. And we just do 10 minutes right now on Google Meet. Um, we're keeping it really simple to start because, again, we, we don't want to we know there's things that we should have done earlier and we didn't. And that's not our team's fault. That's our fault. Right. So we're not going to throw in this perfect daily huddle right away. We're going to like slowly ease our way into making this a consistent thing that people look forward to and don't don't dislike doing right they see value in it and then um we can flush it out it could be a little bit longer probably and it could be um a little more consistent with the the prompts that we have like the ones that are up here um but right now it's really just a conversation of what is your biggest win since yesterday and what's the one thing you're going to do today to propel your business forward and then just answering any questions people might have that day we share team sales as well and then usually the what are you going to propel business forward is tied back to the power hour or daily success habits for the day. Yeah. Numbers on their daily success habits. You got to include that on every one of them. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. as you, as you get in the rhythm of doing your daily huddles, have you ever, have you, so have you experienced somebody doing huddles the way you want yours to look like and feel like? We sure did. We went to the seven figure ride along with Christy Buck and that was awesome to watch them in person. So what did you, what did you discover there? What are some of the things that you took away from there? That's just an event that you, people can um, go to one of the teams that's doing three or 400 units and actually see how they do everything. 
So if you don't know what the seven figure ride along is, it's on Workman's site, but tell, tell them a little bit about like how that changed the way you view your business. I think positive, I think how positive it was. I think that it wasn't just the team leader or the COO of the company uh, speaking. Everyone knew their role and what huddle looked like and was prepared for it. Um, those were our biggest takeaways. So one of our agents actually leads huddle for us now every morning, um, which is pretty awesome. And then everyone knows their role and what the agenda will look like. So it, it ends up being a really positive start to everybody's day, which came directly from our experience in, um, in Houston. So yeah, I think, uh, I think how they build culture into huddle and make it a very positive experience is a great way to get everyone's head on straight for the day and go from there. Uh, they also did it in the morning. Uh, that inspired us to move our team leader meeting to the morning, our team meeting to the morning on Team Tuesday, and then also keeping huddle in that morning time slot um, versus midday or end of day. I like you call it Team Tuesday. We call it Taco Tuesday. We just get taco. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Ryan, there's a couple of questions, one a little bit deeper than the other, but Ryan has a question that says, with the end in mind of not selling, how do you lead your team to sell? i.e. the shared vision. How do you, how do they know that your long-term vision is to develop them so that you don't have to sell at all? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this goes back to culture. Um, and this goes back to um, having really defined roles. Dom and I always talk about how um, our job is not done until every single role on our team is doing the only thing they like to do within that role, the only thing that their level of education is set to do in that role and nothing else. And what I mean by that is like, we'd love to get to a point where our buyer agents who love working with buyers are only getting those buyers and executing their offers. They're not doing the showings. They're not doing the paperwork. They're not doing the calls back and forth, right? And so I think it's, it's very different if you're just like, I'm not gonna sell, but you're gonna sell. And so I'm going to make you do the things that I don't want to do to make me money. It's not that it's, right. it's figuring out like for them, understanding that our greatest uh, dollar productive activity for us is to actually run this brand and run the brokerage. We're way, we're going to make the team way more successful if we're not selling. So it's to their benefit that we're not selling. It's not for them to do the work that we don't want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've, you've transitioned it from you're here to make me money to I'm here to make you money. Exactly. Yep. And, and I, we want everyone on the team, whatever role they're in, whether it's sales or operations, to feel the exact same way. They're only doing what they want to do and what they love to do and what they're good at doing. And everything else is taken care of for taken care of for them within the team and every other role on the team. And we've shared that. Like I think transparency is key there. We've shared that roadmap with them. So like everyone on our team has seen our org chart. And you can stay where you're at and enhance that role based off of the amount of effort you put in. You can go upward, you can go over, you can go, you know, we can do start doing investment properties together. There's, there's the sky's the limit when it comes to real estate. And I think sharing what that roadmap and that strategic plan looks like for three years and five years out um, lets people understand that there's, there's options and there's growth potential for them too. I also think like people want to be led by a leader who has bigger vision than just what that leader is doing. Like, you know, I think that's so much more inspiring. Like I want, I'd want to be led by a leader who's like starting this philanthropy division and able to like start a 608 shop. And like, that's so much more interesting. And that, that, um, is going to keep people so much longer with you than if you're just trying to become the biggest real estate sales team. Right. So. And so when you say not selling, you mean actually not going out with buyers and sellers, or do you mean just specializing in a certain area of the business? Like when you say our end in mind is we're going to be out of production, 
Does that mean that like, you don't have to ever go on a listing appointment or work with a buyer? No, I mean, I think, I think kind of how Christy is doing this, um, you know, like there's times where she steps in, um, but for the most part, like she's not doing those. Right. And that's, yeah. that's, what's making her team successful. So like, so I guess, yes, that's the goal ultimately is not to go on appointments. It's to get more appointments for our team so that they can make more money and, and not have to do the admin side of things so they can do more transactions and then live the life they want to live because they're not spending the time doing the administrative work. Totally. And we have heard, we have heard doing that when she's developing people. So you go out when you're developing someone, not because you need to sell a right. house. Right. Got it. Okay. So talk to me about um, how you, how you're using disc in your team for culture. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say that Jeff and Dom, our operations people are probably more knowledgeable on disc than I am, but I think we do, we have learned that if we don't follow the disc um, recommendations for the particular role, we found that we do run into issues. Um, there is a certain personality type that should be a buyer's agent and there's, there is one that shouldn't be and same with administrative. Um, and we do need to make sure we're having people that complement our personality types. We don't want another high DI because we are, we are already that. So we need the SCs. Um, so I, we've just learned every time we haven't hired based on the disc and we've let the D slide in someone that it, then they want to be the leader too. And it doesn't, you know, that's, it doesn't, you can't have 15 leaders on a team, right? So it is interesting when we talk about disc that it's, um, that it's not a clear cut thing, right? We don't hire and fire to disc, but we use it as a tool to understand what someone's behavior style is going to be. And if you interview correctly with a certain amount of emotional intelligence, along with this, what happens is, is you're able to talk that through before you hire them. You know, you know, and the other thing is I heard, I heard another coach say that, you know, you don't want to see as a leader and you don't want to, I as an administrative assistant, and that's just not actually true. The truth is, is that I've got seven figure income earners that are D's and I's and S's and C's. And it's has, it's not a, it's not a, a method or a, of, of determining whether or not someone's going to be successful. And it doesn't measure a couple of things that are really important. One of the things it doesn't measure is work ethic. And it also doesn't measure skills. Mm -hmm. And so if you have someone with a really high work ethic that has taken the time to learn skills, I have an operations manager that's not a high, high, a high C, but has taken the time to go to college and get educated, learn accounting and business management. And so their adaptive behavior puts them in to be successful in that role. So, you know, you, as you use that disc um, in your hiring process, it really does show. And in your org, there's an org chart that we give all of our coaching clients that shows all the positions. And then it shows the preferred and recommended disc profiles. Uh, we don't hire and fire to those. We just use that in the process. Yeah. Did I describe that okay? I just want, I don't want people to feel like because they're not a C or they can't be great, and it's just not true. No, totally right. We need we need all of them, and um, I think that that's what I think. I think the thing that it's done the most is helped us be objective and also protect ourselves from our natural attraction. You typically are naturally attracted to people that are just like you. Yeah, and you can't yeah. have too many D's and I's and too many you know too many chefs in the kitchen. So. Yeah. You got to have, you got to have balance. All right. So Dan asked a great question. And so Dan, you got a great studio there, man. You get the mic and the headphones. You look like you, you're getting ready to do a podcast. So I, I don't understand your question. So go ahead and ask it out loud. Sure. No, I was the, um, something that I've obviously gotten the privilege to be present for 
Um, so I wanted to ask the question of both of you separately because you're sitting right next to each other too. But like, I've, I've just personally seen a lot of emotional, you know, encouragement out of the both of you, but you're, but different at different times, right? You've gone through different experiences. How is your emotional time together, your growth, the management of your emotions, not just together, but individually, how important has that been now looking back to getting through all of these? And I, I think you guys are being way too hard on yourself saying these are ultimate failures where we fell flat on our face. None of us can get to where we are without, you know, getting through some of them. I don't think they've been massive failures at all. When I see you guys from the outside, I think they've all been challenges and certainly you could look at them as failures, but man, without them, you wouldn't be here right now. Totally. You wouldn't be uh, talking on this podcast and or on this webinar with Verl. So how important has your emotional growth as individuals and together been, been to getting you here? The key. So important. I mean, yeah. I've been in therapy like my whole life. I've had severe anxiety my whole life bro I've never shared this part but like to the point that for a period of time I wouldn't get on an airplane so like I and I had to teach myself like I had to do little things in my life to tell myself I was safe so like the first flight I took um after not flying for a period of time I made my mom take a five-hour Greyhound bus with me to Minneapolis because I didn't want to get on a small plane so Minneapolis was the coast, closest flight that I could get them to fly back to, I think it was Milwaukee on a 737 versus doing a little commuter small plane jet just to prove to myself that I could fly that one time, a one way and drive back. So like I've, I've had to challenge myself my whole life when it comes to anxiety. And Dan can tell you at the beginning, I was someone's buyer's agent and I used to call him all the time, freaking out, worried about everything. Um, but I've really learned over time and like with the things that have happened to me in my life that like, you know, managing your emotions and your, um, your emotional intelligence and your just whatever thing you struggle with, which for me, it was always anxiety is, is just the key to everything. And, and you, I've also learned that like the same, you know, the same thing that can be really bad on one side, the anxiety is also what drives me to be really successful. Right. So I've actually learned to like lean into it. And I read a lot of self-help books. I've read all of Mel Robbins books and, um, it's sometimes as simple as like saying to your body, like, I'm so excited instead of I'm so anxious because in your body, processes those emotions differently like anxiety in the body is the same as excitement in the body but if I tell myself I'm so excited it totally changes the game so like getting control of that and always working to better that is something that I believe everyone should be in therapy and I'll, I'll always be in it for the rest of my life I love that whoever's raising their hand I can't see who you are so if you have a question I need you to go in the chat box and just write it in there and I can I can ask your question for you um the way that zoom works with keynote it doesn't allow me to see everything all right so, so we only have a couple minutes left you talk about hiring out of out of the right team fit um that's like making sure they're a fit for your team is your whole team involved in hiring they will be now. So that was part of the new workflow. So as we enhanced the mission, vision, and core values and redid our job descriptions and um, using WiseHire um, to um, promote those job descriptions and gain applicant flow, we now have a process that starts with a telephone uh, interview, ends with a panel interview with the entire team. So I, lo I love that. So last one is uh, building a strong business foundation so that you can create skill do you feel like you have that now do you feel like you have the the pieces in place to really crank it up like you're already doing 100 doing 100 million is a big business like what's yeah. what, what does that look like what's the next level look like for you dan wants to know 
I think yeah. we're, we're really close to having the foundation set up. I mean, I remember I was watching the last coach coach training session before we became coaches. I told Verldis that I was watching and I saw Samantha and they were talking about Samantha in this one section, Christy Buck's operations, right-hand man. And I said, we need a Samantha. We can't do anything else until we get a Samantha. And we had a Samantha and he, his name is Jeff within you know a month of seeing that webinar. So Jeff has really propelled us forward to build this, like to finalize our foundation. And he's helping us expand that foundation with the client care coordinator and the listing coordinator role. So we're like, we're so close. Super we're close. on the verge of, of exponential things. <laughs> I mean, isn't that cool that like how much you've grown and you're like, just feel like you're just getting ready to really blow it up now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that to me, that's I, like, I'm the thing I'm most proud of is that you're happy and that you're doing it together and that you're enjoying, you know, you're enjoying the business together. I, I see that. And that's, you know, I see a lot of people struggle is partnerships. I'm actually helping somebody do a partnership exit agreement right now. And they're trying to split up and it's a nightmare. They're not married, but they, um, they're fighting like they are. Yeah. 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 We, that's one thing we need to, now that we have some more operations in place, we need to get more personal operations in place. We've just started talking about running our personal life as a business too. And so that's what we're, that's our newest thing. And so like, we need to have daily huddles for our personal life too. And outside of real estate, because we do. You absolutely should. I love that you're thinking that and have a set of family core values as your fa as you, as you start a family someday, you're going to want those family values and raise your children thinking the same thing. So I love that you've got all of the, uh, all of the piece in place. I just want to say congratulations on your success. And I hope this has been helpful to everybody to realize that, you know, it's a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. It, it takes a couple of years um, for people who have thought about coming into coaching with workmen and haven't been able to pull the trigger, what would you tell them? Um, only coaching platform that we've been a part of that gave us the opportunity to give back and, and aligned the, um, the systems and the tools to execute what was being coached on. Yeah. Um, I think that was our biggest point and um, our, our biggest learning. So I would tell you, if you're looking for not just the inspiration, but the tools to support your business and grow and enhance them, um, this is the best combo of, of the two that we've seen yeah. ever. So Yeah, I think a lot of uh, these coaching platforms have a, a good CEO, but they don't have the CEO component, COO component, the operations component and the actual execution. And I think mm -hmm. that's what makes us successful, the two of those components, and we can um, fill in for each other. But I think Workman gives you the operations and the tools to actually execute. And it's only going to, you're only going to be as successful as, as far as you take it. And as far as you dive in and as much time as you put into it and, um, you know, put yourself out there. So it's really just a product of how much you're willing to put into it to yeah. get out of it. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, big hand to Dom and Ellie. Let them know you appreciate them being here. I hope it's been valuable to understand the challenges they've gone through. Please take advantage of the downloads that are there. If you want some help, Sign up for a coaching consultation. Let our team take you through the process. See if we're a good fit. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye, bro. Thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>